0: Welcome to the Better Humans Podcast, where each episode we dive in with an author from the Better Humans publication and discover advice and insight that actually works. To learn more about the articles we discuss, visit betterhumanspodcast.com or simply Google Better Humans. Now together, let's dig in and all become better humans. Welcome to the Better Humans Podcast, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Good, good. And uh, so a quick rundown of your background. You're the CEO and founder of a company called Killer Visual... 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 Visual? (laughs) Visual? Visual Visual Strategies. (laughs) Why could I not say that? That's crazy. Killer Visual (laughs) Strategies, an Inc. 500 company and one of the nation's leading visual company communications agencies and the author of Killer Visual Strategies, Engage in the Audience, Improve Comprehension, and Get Amazing Results Using Visual Communication. But you're on today's podcast because you wrote an article for Better Humans, and the article's titled Keep Your Graphs and Charts Honest by Avoiding These Common Data Visualization Pitfalls. So let's dig in there. What is the most common data visualization pitfall, Amy?
1: Honestly, the most common one is when people see a percentage and immediately they say, I'm going to visualize this as a pie chart or something similar. Um, the the thing is, is with percentages, if you want to visualize it as a pie chart, it has to be a part of a whole. It's it can't be a percentage growth or a percentage decline, for instance. But oftentimes people will say, okay, let's let's assume it's a eighty nine percent percent eighty nine percent improvement over something. Well, that's a growth, so you can't you can't visualize that as a pie chart with an 89% slice because we're not talking about 89 out of 100. What we're talking about is an increase of 89% over an original stat. And so that actually has to be visualized as two bars side by side, where one bar represents the original state, which can just be considered 100%, and the bar next to it has to be 189%. Um, So 89% taller than the 100% bar. It's such a common mistake that people make so often. They just see a percentage and say, pie chart, that's the solution. But really, it has to be um, visualized differently when it's an increase or a decrease or a change over time.
0: Yes, because a pie chart that sum total always has to be the hundred percent, right? Is that right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you see these mistakes, this is just me digging in. This isn't in the article. When you see a mistake like that, and obviously it irks you if you've built a business around this, how did you get into like this data visualization as your career and your company and your path?
1: It's, it's kind of that typical millennial story. I feel like, you know, millennials kind of rewrote what a career is like. Um, we've always jumped around from uh, expertise to expertise in a sense. And so every three or four years, I kind of changed my career focus. Um, but I originally went to film school and just fell in love with the concept of visual storytelling. Um, my first set of jobs were all related to film video marketing or video editing. Um, But then I completely pivoted my career into online marketing and SEO and really fell in love with online marketing. Um, I consider myself a marketer above anything else. It's my, my biggest passion. And really, when Killer came about, it was this perfect combination of visual storytelling and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, data viz is a big piece of that. There's so much data out there that, that people want to understand better. Um, and, and the problem is, is that there's actually not a wide understanding of how to properly visualize that data. We kind of take charts and graphs for granted. they they're things that we've always seen over time, but people don't necessarily know what goes into the thought process behind choosing the right chart or graph to properly visualize that data. So it's been kind of a point of focus for me as we've evolved and learned on our own, too. I mean, our first couple of years, we made a lot of mistakes in data viz, and we made a lot of mistakes in visual communication. And we learned from those mistakes. And a lot of what I teach people and a lot of what I talk about in my book is um, the lessons we've learned from those mistakes so that people don't make the same ones.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you are working with someone, you are – they're hiring you, then basically to help them tell their story through data. Is that right? Is that who, who? Like, who would hire you, or am I wrong?
1: Exactly. I mean, we're we're hired by primarily Fortune 500 companies, though we'll work um, with great startups as well. Um, we really focus on um, helping people get their messages out to their end audiences. Sometimes that message is qualitative, not quantitative. So really, we're focusing on visualizing information to help people better understand core concepts, services, um, maybe a new product or a a new offering from a brand. Um, And sometimes that's rooted in deep data where we're really sharing um, analytics and information about the end customer so that the end customer kind of gets an understanding of, of why the service or brand is valuable to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you point out a couple of graphs in the article in the, uh, better humans article where mm-hmm. it's basically, it's, it's not well done on the media standpoint. They did a poor job of reflecting the data when they do this. Is it intentional? Or it's just a lack of know-how on their end, do you think?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, the fact of the matter is, is in, in that article, there's a couple of examples. One example is um, something that I think is a mistake. It, I don't think it was intentional. It's, it's an example that shows an area graph overlaid on top of a map of America. Now, my thoughts there are, the, um, it was an NBC Nightly News visual that was put out. My thoughts are, they said, let's make this look more intriguing and engaging, and didn't consider the fact that um, overlaying an area graph on top of a map, which is already communicating a very specific set of information, will actually make the area graph's information completely incorrect, because it suddenly makes you think that the locations of which the numbers appear on the area graph, for instance... Maine shows a a lot of data points. It makes you actually think that Maine is the most diverse state in America, the way that that one is visualized. So I think that one was just a mistake an attempt of dressing something up to be more engaging, which is, I would say, the majority of the time, the driver behind incorrect data viz. But other data viz that I've seen is intentionally trying to fool the viewer. So another example, in that article that we show is um, an example that was um, that that's a line graph that shows gun violence over time, and it shows that when Florida enacted a stand your ground law in tw- two thousand five, the graph makes it look like gun violence went down. In reality, gun violence actually took a huge spike up. But the way that they manipulated the graph was they flipped the y-axis. So instead of the y-axis going from zero up to the highest number in the graph, the y-axis starts at a 1,000, which is the highest number, and goes down to zero, which basically flips the entire Mm -hmm. graph. And somebody who looks at it without looking at that y-axis, somebody who wants to just take away a quick understanding, wouldn't think to double-check the y-axis because it's not traditional or typical to flip that axis. So I do think that a graph like that is intentionally misleading. And you can find a, a lot of news outlets do put out some charts and graphs that are pretty often scale to be intentionally misleading for the rent audience. Mm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your book, uh, Killer Visual Strategies, who did you write that for?
1: Um, I primarily wrote it for audiences like marketers, um, business leaders, brand communicators, people who really are trying to um, take advantage of the fact that 91% of today's audiences demand visual content as their primary, secondary, and tertiary form of connection and information delivery from the brands and services that they that they eventually buy from. And so for brands to succeed today, they have to be successful at visual content marketing. So the primary audience is the end brand, that end communicator who's trying to engage an audience and get them into their conversion funnel. It really walks you through exactly how to do that, how to manage a creative team, how to build a creative team, how to set expectations with that team. But I've actually found that designers equally are finding quite a lot of value from the book. And that's because I include quite a lot of very specific tactical ways of executing visual content. And I do that because there are rules to doing this correctly, to ensuring that your work is always a success. And so designers wanna make sure sure they're adhering to those rules just as much as marketers want to make sure their content adheres to those work, those rules. So I'm finding that designers are loving the book too, because it's helping them communicate with their clients far better. And I think it bridges that gap that tends to exist between marketers and designers.
0: Mm-hmm. So from a data visualization perspective, when you look at it through the lens of marketing and sales, do you start with the story that you want to tell as a as a marketer or salesperson and find the data that works that helps tell that story or do you look at the data and figure out what story it's telling and back into it that way usually?
1: It's a little bit of both. Uh, every single project has a, a different end goal, a different target audience. So sometimes the client comes to us knowing exactly what that story is. And as long as the data truly does support that story, then we will very comfortably put that content together, create the right narrative, et cetera. But we've had clients come to us um, with a story in mind, and the data doesn't support it at all. Mm. Or if it's, if it's qualitative and not quantitative, we still can't find um, facts and reputable sources that back up that story. When those situations happen, we turn down the work because we already live in such a world of misinformation and we don't want to contribute to that. So there does have to be validity in the story that we're sharing. But um, most of the time, a client will come to us saying, this is my goal that I want to achieve and this is my target audience. From there, we will identify what is the right story to help achieve that goal. And is there reputable information that really validates that story? If so, we'll create the narrative. And then from there, we will um, help deliver the content and make sure it gets out to the right audience.
0: Do you ever work with anyone who has a lot of data and they're able to share the data, but they're not quite sure of what the, what the story the data is telling And uh, maybe they thought one way, but once you dig in, you're like, no, 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 actually, the data says this and it's and it's a perfect story to tell here.
1: Yes, yes, we've had that numerous times. Um, In fact, we are part of a a larger portfolio of companies. And within that portfolio of companies are two of the leading insights and research firms in the world, um, Lieberman Research Worldwide and Kelton Global. And they spend their lives in gigantic data sets. And they're, they have great data scientists who identify the right insights and the right stories from those data sets. So we are able to leverage the, these amazing teams that live in data science all the time. Um, prior to becoming a part of that portfolio, we plenty of times had clients kind of just give us a data dump over Excel And while they had some initial assumptions of what the data would say, it would be our job to dive deep into it and really find the right story in there.
0: Mm. Was writing a book fun?
1: It was. And it's, it's the funniest thing to think about because I've spent the past decade making a living in a world of visual communication, where we're utilizing as, as little text as possible. And then here I go and write a 40,000-word book about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's <So> great. <laughs> it's, it was
1: such an irony, but it was so much fun. I, I have always loved writing. Um, I, I love I love storytelling in all its forms. And so writing that book was um, probably one of the most fun things I've done in my career thus far.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Huh? What yeah. made you want to start? uh, your company originally?
1: It was actually a complete accident. In fact, the opening of the book, uh, has an opening called the accidental agency. And I go into the full story of of how I started killer. Um, you know, at the time I had a completely different business model with a, um, with my old business partner. And we were really focused on that business model and creating infographics for the sake of, um, for the sake of seo and online marketing for our other business but what ended up happening was we started to see the power in infographics and my um old business partner came to me one day and said i thought of a really cool name overnight and the domain name exists killer infographics and this was august of 2010 and we both loved the name but we didn't want to start an agency that wasn't the plan We instead wanted to create a website that was a directory of infographics. Um, But only a few weeks into that, we had people reaching out to us, asking us to design infographics for them. And that's when I kind of really focused on pushing a pivot because I saw the opportunity to do something more than what we were doing. And so that's when Killer Infographics, the online directory for two or three weeks, turned into Killer Infographics, the agency. And then we changed our name to Killer Visual Strategies June of last year, Um, even though we should have probably done that two years in because we've been doing more than infographics for quite some time. Infographics are just one of the myriad pieces of creative content we produce.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, your book is like – I was checking it out on Amazon. It's like beloved by the people that have read it. How do you get Guy uh, Kawasaki to do the Ford?
1: I asked him, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I, really lucked out with that. So Guy Kawasaki is one of my all-time heroes. I have been following him for, you know, as long as I have been aware, um, uh, uh, from a professional perspective, aware of marketing, aware of, um, thought leadership. I've been following him probably since I was, I don't know, maybe 17 or 18, read all of his books. Um, and, and so, I had the privilege of interviewing him for a short series we were doing called the Visual Minute, and I interviewed him at South by Southwest um, a few years ago for it. So I had his email address, and basically I just said it doesn't hurt to ask, it doesn't hurt to reach out and see if he's willing to do it. And um, he's the chief evangelist for um, Canva, which is a um, great online tool to create visual content. So I knew that he already had a a really good understanding of visual content and visual communication. So I emailed him and asked, he said, sure, let me read the book and make sure he read it. And it, he, he said, sure, I'll write that forward. Probably one of the most exciting moments of my career as well. And I I was really, really grateful for, um, for a guy jumping in and doing that.
0: That's awesome. I love like his vibe and stuff. I just think he's right? like, seems like such a sweet guy and nice guy and unsmart smart guy, obviously, but I love his, just his vibe.
1: Yep. I agree. He's just down to earth.
0: What did you learn from reaching out to him and like him saying yes, has it made you like have more guts about reaching out to just other people in situations like that?
1: It has. It has. It's so funny because I have people um, who are, you know, graduating college and they'll reach out to me and say, hey, one of my assignments is to interview a CEO. I want to interview you. And I always sit there and think to myself, oh, of course, happy to do that. It, it feels like a great compliment when they do that. Um, and, and at the same time, I think of myself, well, I'm, I'm kind of small potatoes in comparison to people who they could have reached out to. But I figured if, if these college students can do it, then I should be able to do it as well. And so I, I decided to kind of uh, swallow my imposter syndrome and email him and, and see what I could do, see what see what he would say. And I, I have a, um, some colleagues that I've met over time who have always said to me, it doesn't hurt to ask. If you ask respectfully and somebody says no, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Nine out of 10 times, they're going to say no, but that one out of 10 times, somebody's going to say yes, and it gives you a great opportunity and a great chance to expand your network. So I figured, why not try it?
0: Yeah, it definitely helps with the authority of the book, having uh, his name associated with it in some way.
1: Exactly. It really does.
0: Yeah. Okay. So final couple questions here. So if somebody's sitting down right now to do a data visualization Project like they're going to a, make a chart or a graph to put into a deck or to put on their website or something, what's the best advice you have to uh, that they can lean on during that project? Like what would you tell them?
1: Honestly, you have to consider who your end audience is and what's the story you're trying to tell because that's going to determine the order of which you deliver that data it's going to determine the type of chart you're going to use to deliver that data. There's so much that goes into choosing the right data visualization before you even start to create that data viz. Um, The other thing I would say is make sure it doesn't look like it was spit out of Excel. People aren't as intrigued with that. They want the data to, the data viz to feel like it's been customized, but I'm not saying move away from a traditional bar chart or a traditional pie chart. Don't overly dress that data, but just take it up a notch so it doesn't feel like it's just generated from Excel. Um, so take a little bit more opportunity to add some colors to the bars, change the, the um, weight of the grid behind in the background, change the font of the labels. Um, things like that really help to just make it feel more professional and clean. Um, the only other thing I would say is if you want a real deep dive, in data viz, um, the the article that I wrote was a, actually a, a piece from my book. It's a part of the first that are the first part of the chapter that dives into data viz do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. But I also have a LinkedIn Learning course called Data Visualization Best Practices. It's a great course to dive into if you want to really master data viz.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Okay, and then last question. So, what advice mm-hmm. would you have for someone? Who say they're like 25 and they're working on a company, but they want to go work for themselves and they want to start a company like you did? What advice would you give them?
1: Save money first. It's the one thing I say to everybody. Before I started, before I quit my day job, I spent a year. Um, working evenings and weekends to first make the the original business model make money so that I knew money was coming in. But during that year, I socked away 30% of my paychecks so that by the time that year was up, I had a good amount of savings that ensured I was willing to take the long haul risk. But if you don't have that savings stored up, what ends up happening inevitably is people get really scared because the first four to six months, you're not really going to make a dime. There's no real success overnight. Sometimes it could take years before a business starts really pulling in a lot of money. So make sure that you aren't going to be in a position where you have to drop everything and get a job again because you didn't have enough money in the bank to to really invest in yourself.
0: I I absolutely love advice that is practical and not like in the clouds. And that is such great (laughs) practical advice on both your points, both your uh, financial save some money before you start your business advice. And also just from a marketing standpoint, hey, try to know what you want to uh, know your messaging or know what you're kind of wanting to communicate before you uh, dig into uh, to be able to tell that story. You got to know where you're going. So, yeah, it's great. Both of those are so practical and uh, just great advice. Is there anything I should have mentioned or I should have um, asked you, where can people find you? I guess that's a good one. Where can people hunt you down at?
1: So you can find me on Twitter at Amy Balliet. um, But you can also find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most active. Um, I, I try to anytime I do a podcast, for instance, I try to post it to LinkedIn um, I've actually been holding off on posting this medium article that we're talking about today on LinkedIn because I wanted to post it with this podcast. So that's going to be up there soon. And I try to write some regular content for LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn's one of the best places to connect with me. I check my email on it about every other day as well. So I try to really keep up with people on LinkedIn too.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you joining the podcast and sharing your insight about Data viz. I guess that's how I should have said it at the top of the show. Data viz. <laughs> and that would have been a lot easier. So awesome. Keep up the good work. You're amazing. And thank you so much for contributing this uh, article to Better Humans. I was looking at the comments. People love this thing. So good job.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Uh, you got I'm it. Def- definitely one of these days i'll try to come up with a v2 and dive even deeper into uh data viz for for that for better humans
0: awesome thanks again
1: thank you